Trading on episode 36. You know, I would love for everyone to learn how to just sell spreads. I think it's the easiest way to make money in the market on overall, honestly. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than... I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up traders, welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host Cam Hawkins and today we've got Jeff Bishop on the show. Now, Jeff's from bullmarkets.com, he's a stock options trader from the US and we actually hear how he goes from his humble beginnings to hitting the big time 7 plus figures uh, in trading stock options over there in the States. Now, at the end of the show you get to hear his full stock options trading strategy which is a real bonus as well. And near the end of the show, he talks us through probably the best story I've heard when it comes to answering the question of what's the worst trade you've ever had. So stay tuned for that, guys. That's coming up. Now, before we get into it, I just want to highlight one little thing that's occurred to me literally five minutes ago, and this has to do with the dramas I've had over the last weekend, or the last few days. So the website went down for like two days. The web host just pulled the plug on it, didn't give me any warning, and I'm been scrambling trying to get it back up and running again, uh, which is really just trying to convince them to put it back up uh, because it was putting too much load on the servers. Um, the po- podcast is obviously getting more and more popular, and, uh, and I haven't been as efficient as I could be with the hosting. But the good news is it's back up and running. I think it was only down for like a day and a half. And uh, and one of the things that occurred to me at the back of this, right, it's, it's something that's happened to me three times now this year. So when these things hit, like when these disasters hit and you think, oh, no, what this is not good, what I say to myself when these things hit is, Something good is going to happen. I don't know what it is. Something good is going to come out of this. Now, you've probably heard that before, but there's a point to the story here. Now, what happened here? Something good did come out of it. So one, well, the first thing is they got the site up and running straight away. The second thing is I've decided to move to another web host. And the third thing is that they, uh, the, the other web host is actually way better. And you guys are going to get a, bit, a better experience for it as well. So the site's going to be faster, load faster, and all that sort of stuff, more stable, and all that sort of good stuff. So guys, you can look forward to that in the future. Now, um, there was a second thing that came out of this, which occurred to me right like literally five minutes before I recorded this and that is the fact that I actually don't do this I don't use the same strategy when it comes to trading so I've used it as I said three times this year and every single time I use it and I say something good is going to come out of this something good does come out of it and it might be like one day two days two weeks after but I look back and go in actual fact I'm so glad that happened because something good did come out of it. Now, what I don't do is I don't do that with my trading. Why? And I'm thinking, why have I not been doing that with my trading? So when something bad happens, actually say to myself, hey, because of this negative thing that's happened, I know something good is going to come out of it. I don't know what it is, but something good is going to come out of that event. Now, it might just be one trade. 
And maybe it's a case of going back and looking at that trade. It might be just a bad trading week or, or a bad trading day. Something that like has really affected you and you're just you know feeling a little tense. Just say something good is going to come out of it. Who knows what it's going to be. Then look back like two days, three days, a week later, two weeks later and go, okay, what, what happened? What was the good thing that came out of that particular incident? Now, please, I'm going to start doing this because I think... I know I know this strategy works. For whatever reason, it just works. Maybe it's a subconscious thing. I'm not too sure. But guys, I urge you to give it a go. It's my little tip of the tip of the week, um, and I hope it helps some people out there that are listening to the show. All right. Without further ado, let's get on with this interview with uh, Jeff Bishop. All right, guys. So we've got Jeff Bishop here. On the show, he's the founder of several popular financial education and trading websites, including Raging Bill, and the, which is the fastest growing stock market education site. And Jeff is a multimillionaire trader and economist with 20 years of experience under his belt. So today we're going to talk stock options with Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. How are things over there in New Hampshire? Oh, great. Thanks. I love talking about stock options. <laughs> well, you're going to get a, get a good chance to get that out of your system for an hour. So so um, let's get underway. So first of all, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into trading and your journey to date. Sure. You know, I grew up really poor. My family didn't have any financial background or education for me. They lived paycheck to paycheck and uh, pretty typical lower middle class American life, I guess. And uh, for some reason, I always gravitated towards the stock market. There's this aura about it that if you could figure that out, that if you could unlock some secrets and keys there, that you're just going to become rich. So you see everybody on Wall Street driving great cars, great suits, great offices, making lots of money. So I figured if I could break into that somehow, it was going to be my ticket. In reality, it was really a lot harder than that. So I had uh, several small failed businesses along the way. Uh, took, I don't know, there was a lot of um, a lot of obstacles to get there, and um, I ended up going to college to try to learn more about the market, learn more about finance. I got an undergrad degree in finance, and then I got a master's degree in economics after that. And I really, again, I thought that man, if I couldn't do it on my own, but maybe college would teach me how to become a great trader and teach me about the market. And it turns out that colleges don't really teach you a lot about that either. So after 10 years of putting myself through school, I really found myself in a spot where I'd, I'd, you know, I learned more, more about finance, but I really felt like I didn't know much about the market. And that's kind of where my self-directed journey began after college. So it was a long 10-year process after that to really become consistently profitable. And talk us through that journey, that 10-year journey from when you left college to to where you are, or where you got to the point where you're profitable. I mean, what what did that look like? Yeah, um, one of the th- businesses I had along the way was a a lawn care business when I was living in Texas, and I had I had different clients. They were pretty affluent, and I'd come by and cut their grass and take care of all their maintenance. And one of the guys took a pretty big interest in me. His name was Bob, and he pulled me aside and um. You know, Bob just asked me what I was doing in my life and what my plans were. And I explained to him how I was going to grow this lawn business and uh, have – I was going to expand it and grow into multiple trucks and, you know, take over the Dallas area. <laughs> and uh, Bob said, that's not really the best idea. It's probably not going to happen for you. And he explained why. Um, you know, Bob was 
pretty rich guy. He was living off of his investments and, um, you know, his background, he was in the army before that. So he was self-directed as well. So he really just encouraged me that I could make it in the market and gave me some basic fundamental tips like, you know, how to, how to use risk management and uh, certain things he looks for in stocks and how he values growth and uh, stability in business over, um, you know, being overly speculative. He was a pretty conservative guy. So those are some early lessons that he kind of passed on to me. And as I got into it, I, I decided that, um, you know, there was no internet really back then. So what I was doing was opening the paper every day and looking at the the stock prices. That's all they really had. So I was looking at stock prices. I was trying to read up on any companies I could find. And that was the basis of my initial stock trading. It was it was pretty horrible, to be honest. It was pretty bad. So, so I mean, it's, I mean, it, back before the internet, it is it is a different beast. Uh, not yeah. Nowadays, we take for granted. You can just think of any topic you want, type it in Google, and there's pages and pages of everything about options or how to how to figure out what stock prices are. This chart, that chart. It's like we take it for granted now, but it was really difficult back then. So, so how on earth did you do it then? I mean, how, how did you go from looking fl- flicking through the paper to to working out a way to trade well stocks, I suppose, or invest in stocks at that point in time, and then and then further afield options? So, um, so back to college real quick. I was so drawn to options after I kind of learned what they were, and that's kind of where I made my focus of, of studying, because I, I was was certain that if you could figure out uh, how to put all those Greeks together and how to um, formulate the right strategies that options were really going to make me a lot of money. Ultimately, it did, but it wasn't really the way I thought it was going to happen. So it really took a 10-year process of uh, trial and error, going through all types of stocks and blowing up a few accounts along the way before I really figured out how to really truly manage risk and uh, you know what what trading styles were actually going to work for me in the long term. And... Uh, you know that that really was just a lot of trial and error and just learning along the way what works and what doesn't. And you mentioned every trader's got their own style, so you you kind of have to you know, develop your own style along the way too as a trader. Yeah, because you, you've mentioned risk a couple of times. I mean, Bob mentioned it mm-hmm. to you, and, and then you've just mentioned it there. I mean, how important is it when you you're trading options? Yeah, I trade options, and if you learn a, a real appreciation for risk, right? <laughs> Options are very, they're like playing with fire. So it's its a very powerful tool. And when used correctly, it, it really is a great way to, to do trading. But its there's a lot of risks involved with it. So um, I really encourage everyone to understand the risks. In our programs that we have Raging Bull, I'm always trying to teach what these risks are and how we can avoid the same kind of blow-ups that I had along the way and how we can just find a way to be consistent in our trading more than anything else. I think too many people get drawn in and, they want to make those quick home run bets and see them pay off. I mean, that can happen, and it's fun when it does, but um, that's just not a, a long-term winning strategy. So we gotta, um, you know, got to plan for the worst along the way. And can you take us back to that time where you sort of where everything clicked and you just realized that okay, I've now got it, and maybe even the steps leading up to that. You know, one of the biggest things for me was. Um, being being confident enough in a trade that I would I would get bigger size in a trade, and that I would also have the confidence to let it go farther than I normally would. Uh, I think I see this a lot of times with option traders, especially new new traders. 
they're used to trading stocks and you know if they made a 10% or 20% gain on a stock that's just fantastic they just take it off the table i mean that was a great win and with an option maybe you get you know 30 50% win on on a trade and you think that's incredible so you just you just take it you know there's no reason to you just take it off yeah. the table because yeah. it's it's there um uh, unfortunately they don't stick to that same thing on the downside but on the upside they uh, take profits too early and one thing that really clicked for me was when I started realizing that I was selling positions way too early for no reason. Like the chart wasn't telling me to get out of it. There's no fundamental reason. I just, I was too cautious with my own account and uh, I thought it was best to take it off. But with options, there's so many times where I've made 200 up 500% sometimes on trades because I became more confident in letting them ride. And those those few big winners during the year are really what it takes, at least in my style, to become really successful uh, trading options. I need those big winners along the way because if you're um, buying calls and puts, you're going to take a lot of losses. I mean, unless you're just an incredible stock picker, I've met very, very few of those in my life. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we're uh, using risk on the right side and then letting and using the profit too, we're taking profits when we need to. So letting these things run farther than you're normally used to, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer. When you, see a, when you see like a five or ten bagger in your account, like, wow, that, that is incredible. That's, that's, a, that's a game changer, like I said. And, and I, I don't know how many years ago that was for you, but, I mean, can you, can you sort of take the listeners there so that they can understand, I suppose, how hard it might have been for you to, to get to that point where you're like, like, I've got to let these winners run, and... Because I suppose even then, at that point, your, your confidence must have been a little bit lower when you were first doing it, because you yeah. wouldn't have you wouldn't have done it before, right? So, sure. um, how did that? You know, one out? thing is I've I've never put myself in a position where my livelihood depended on trading, so I've always had more freedom in that way. So I, I think that's one thing that really enabled me to. I mean, I took way too many risks early on because I didn't depend on the account for my living. Uh, I think we need to we we should treat our trading accounts like that for sure. Even if you don't depend on it, you should treat it that way because you'll take it much more seriously, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't do that early on. I do today, even though I don't depend on my trading for my income. I I definitely treat it like my life depends on it. So I, I'm much more serious about it. Uh, and early on, I mean, there were just like milestones along the way for me of certain. Um, certain price, certain amount of gains I wanted to make. So my first account was like $2,000 and I think it was the minimum to open up a Ameritrade account back then. I got started trading in the internet bubble, by the way. So that kind of led to some overconfidence early on. Yeah. I started trading in like 1999. So I was a great trader and everything <laughs> yeah. went up. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that story before. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was a great trader. And then 2000, that wasn't so good. And by 2001, I sucked. I was terrible. <laughs> I realized I didn't know what was going on. So that was a big wake-up call. So I, I blew up a couple accounts in those first five years. Um, those those are big wake-up calls for me. Okay, so so um, let's let's step forward into the future and and the current current times, I suppose, um, or a recent time that was was probably um, uh, can help answer this question. So the question is. Really, we want to get some insight into your trading, so around the stats and a few other little bits and bobs. So, um, to, to start off with, I mean, do you do you, would you call yourself? Would you give yourself a specific style? Would you label your trading style, uh, you know, something like a scalper or, or etc.? 
No, I wouldn't say I'm, I've tried day trading quite a bit. I've just found I'm not very good at it. Uh, I'm not in front of my computer all day, and I, I've never had the discipline to sit down and really learn the systems to to become really disciplined in intraday trading. So I, that's never been my thing. Uh, I do know a lot of successful traders who do this professionally. They are day traders. I think that's probably one of the best things you can do as a trader because you know, your, looks, your risk is very limited, and you're mainly cashing out every day, so you don't have overnight risk. But for me, it's uh, I'm consider myself more of a swing trader. First of all, I'm looking at positions where I'm probably in for, uh, you know, until the chart tells me otherwise. So it could be a day, it could be a couple weeks. I think two weeks is probably about the the most I want to hold a trade typically, especially with options. Um, long calls and puts. I do trade a lot of long calls and puts, and they're very risky in that sense. So those are trades I'm managing very closely um and then there's also a very conservative strategy with uh selling spread so i'm trying to collect volatility and time premium a lot so that's that's probably more profitable for me honestly in the long run but um i do a lot more of the calls and puts buying and, and so do you, would you consider your strategy to be more uh i suppose options based or more more chart technical based um, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm always looking at building a list of companies that I've got a fundamental or psychological reason for. I love the company. I love the management. There's something about the company I like or don't like. I'm always trying to build two lists. Like I want to, I want a hot list. I've my go-to stocks of companies that I just love right now. They're in favor with the market. There's momentum. And when I can buy those on a dip back to a technical level, then I want to get in, but I already like them for a fundamental reason. I'm using the technical side to make my entries and exits, but I've already got a reason why I like the company. I don't just wake up in the morning and do uh, scans on 10,000 stocks and then something spits out 10 winners that have my chart pattern. Like, you know, if I don't know those stocks and I'm not familiar with them and I, I try to stay out of those. So I'm usually trading stocks that I already like. And then also that I don't like too, like I said. So companies that you know are down more than the market on down days, and they don't seem to rise as much on good days, and they've had bad news, they got bad earnings, they got bad management. I think I want to look for opportunities technically to short those on up days. So that's that's a big thing I'm looking for. And and how do you keep that list of stocks sort of fresh? And and how many are we talking about here? I try to ref. I'm always trying to digest news, so I'm lo- reading all kinds of news out there all the time. Um, and also, I found, you know, as awful as Twitter is, I've found some some value out of it from following certain traders, both good and bad. So just like my stocks, I'm looking for traders I think are good and bad. Who, um, you know, some people are bad in the sense I feel like they're always chasing the market or they're just talking about things at the peak. So I'm always kind of looking at them as indicators of you know kind of when to be a contrarian. And, you know, some traders out there on Twitter I found to be really insightful. So I've, I've kind of got a list of people I'm following and always adding to that. And they're always bringing new ideas of things they're looking at or trends they're seeing out in the marketplace. And I'm incorporating that. And then I, I simply keep a stock list and just on a sheet on my computer. It's very unsophisticated. And it's probably, it's probably 50 stocks at a time at the most. So it's, okay. it's a pretty limited list, but it's... It's a go-to list. And honestly, I think everybody, if you're a new trader, you probably should just go pick out five stocks. 
go find five stocks that you can follow and become intimately involved with, learn the charts, learn about the companies more. And uh, I think that's just a fantastic place to start. Don't worry about 10,000 stocks. Just find five. Brilliant. Good advice there, guys. Um, so you've, you sort of mentioned the risk-to-reward ratio there with you know 500%, up to 500% winners. Now, what about the winning percentage on that? Is that what's that look like? I would say my winning percentage is less than 50%, but my my risk management offsets that. So because I'm I'm never losing 500% of trade, <laughs> my I try to keep my losses to about 50% on my long calls and puts, and I'm really shooting for about 100% on the upside. So I'll often hit 100% or 200% on the upside on these stocks on these options. So that more than offsets not hitting 50% um, winning percentage. Okay, and how? So I'm, how oh, sorry, my go charting. On. I'm looking for short-term uh, trading reversals on stocks a lot. So what I found is that if I can find a stock that's got a likelihood of making you know a two to five percent move in the next few days, a short period of time, then the options are the way to play that. So if I've got a good feeling that Apple is about to make a 2%, 5% move from here in the next week based on a technical level, then you know, then options are definitely the way to play that because that can leverage into a 100% win on the calls or the puts uh, in a short period of time. So that's that's really what I'm looking at. So I'm trying to target those all the time. And how many, how many trades would you be running at one time? Typically, I'd probably add about... I'd say I probably put on about three trades a week as an average. Okay. So I'm not I'm not a very active trader, but I think about three a week. And so there could be anywhere of sort of like maybe seven or eight or ten floating around there, depending on if things are closing or, or opening. Yeah, I'd say ten's probably about the upper limit of how many positions I'm going to be holding. Um, so if I've got a spread trade, it's got at least two contract. It's got two different contracts with it, but I consider that one trade. But I'd, I'd say that 10 overall trades is probably about the max I'm juggling at one time. And what does your typical day look like, your trading day? Um, my trading day involves, I get my kids off to school in the morning, so everybody's out, out the door by 8.30. In the meantime, I'm catching up on emails from overnight for business and then also going through the business news of the day. So I'm catching up on, you know, what are the stories making news this morning? and looking at um, overseas markets, how's the U.S. market doing, how are my positions doing, looking going into opening hour, and then news on anything out there that might be on my hot list. So is there anything coming up? So I'm kind of digesting that. And so by 8.30, my kids are out the door. Then I'm at my computer full-time, and I'm, I use that first hour just to digest as much news as I can in the market. So anything about bonds, interest rates, overseas banks, what did Trump tweet today? What's going on in the world? How's China doing? Anything that I can take and just kind of help build my overall global perspective. And then from there, I'm trying to get ideas about how I think that impacts things. So looking at all the China trade news, I think, okay, well, what is that good or bad? How's it going to affect companies? What do I think the companies are going to be affected the most? Uh, Apple's a big target. How's that going to affect Apple? So these are kind of things that I'm I'm trying to get a global view on things, and I I try to drill that down into 
micro ideas and individual stock names. Cool. All right. So, so, uh, and your day ends up what, about what time? Oh man. So I'm also running a business. I'd say my day goes all day. I'm, <laughs> I'm always on my phone until 10 o'clock or so at night. <laughs> okay. So your trading days are pretty As far quick. as the trading side, yeah. it, you know, I'm, I'm not too active on doing anything after the market. There's not too much going on right after, unless there's some earnings. I might try to catch up on some uh, key earning stuff, but Otherwise, when the market's done, I'm pretty much done. I'm just get ready for the next day. And slightly changing the question here, so or the, the questioning. So um, I always ask this to my guests: what What do you What are your views on trading cryptocurrencies? Um, you know, I don't own any cryptocurrency, but I think I should. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things. Yeah. I I've got my account, I've got it funded, but I just haven't purchased any. So I just forgot about it this year, and uh, I meant to buy some down in the three and four thousand Bitcoin. So I, I think I'd only buy a Bitcoin if I did. And you know, I, I told myself I was going to start averaging in around five thousand and just keep going down to two thousand or so. I didn't do it. Yeah. Before I know it, it's eight or nine thousand. Like, well, I'm not going to buy it here. So if it holds this level for some some points and it gets stability, I'll, I'll buy it at ten thousand. I don't care what the price is really. I just I'm more worried about the action and um just finding a, a stability in something yeah so you know i mean because bitcoin intrinsically has no value so we don't know it's like i don't know what's worth it's only worth what the market like anything else i guess only what, what the market's going to pay for it today yeah right so so uh in the beginning what do you think made you different from the average mum or dad trader out there i mean what traits did you have and what actions did you take i think i've got a a pretty good um risk reward uh profile so i get into some of the riskiest stuff out there and i'm not afraid to put a lot of chips on the table um but i'm also i've got a really conservative side also so i a lot of my trading is very conservative and i've you know i really want to protect capital and i feel like i segment the two really well and as a trader i think you've got to i don't know you can make it either way but i i think i happen to do pretty well at both sides i've got a very conservative side to me but i'm also really not afraid to push in the chips i've got with as long as uh, um as long as i keep it under control so I, I played online poker when it was first coming out i was trying to do that professionally that really got me hooked on playing poker and in poker one of the things is you can't just always go all in so you can't always push all your chips in the table but you do get very aggressive with a certain amount of the chips you hold. So if you have a thousand dollar stack of chips, you're not just always going to push that thousand dollars in, but you might take a hundred, two hundred, and be very aggressive with that amount as long as it wins. And if it doesn't, then you back off, and then you're conservative with the rest of it until you build it back. But I feel like I've taken a lot of the uh, poker management skills and taken it into the the market. And that that's actually helped me quite a bit over the years. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your your poker days. So, so that's, I suppose, yeah. How how much has it helped you in terms of, I mean, even just the psychological sort of aspect to it, being a trader now. Yeah, I think poker helped a lot in the fact that it it gave me a better risk profile. It made me willing to take more risk, first of all, and uh, also, you know, getting blown up on poker tables will teach you how you're going to deal with with trading 
you're going to run into a lot of trades that you were right on, and then the last card came down, and you were wrong all of a sudden. <laughs> so in poker, you might you might be in a hand because you had pocket aces, and you got the absolute best hand you could have. And then the cards, the next five cards that fall on the table, well, they just may not agree with you. So you did the right thing at the right time, but the odds, did, the outcome wasn't how you expected it. So in learning, that is the reality of trading. So a lot of times I feel like myself and every other trader too, we, we make the right decision with the information we have at the time. And then the market ultimately proves you wrong for, then we have to decide if it was the market that did this to us or if it was just bad luck, we got a bad read on it, or if it was just a random mistake to us. So like there's two reasons we can be wrong on trades and we have to be good at analyzing which was it was, was I just in a trade I shouldn't have been in? Was the stock already going down and I just really wanted to buy the bottom? Or was I really in a good spot and then I just got hit and Trump just tweeted something out of the blue? I, I couldn't expect that. And then knocked my stock down. So I, I feel like we have to be aware of both sides of it and just kind of understand our strengths and weaknesses as a trader. Cool. All right. Well, look, uh, if if you're a retail trader working at day job, what steps would you recommend they take to start earning an income as, as from trading? That's great. Um, I think everybody should always keep their job. <laughs> Unless you really become successful, you really love trading. I think trading on the side and working a real job is probably what, you know, 99% of people should be doing. So first of all, I'll just say that. That's most what they should be doing. It's not what they will do. I know most people want to, they like the idea of being a, a full-time trader, but probably not. They probably love their job, or there is a job they love more than trading. But trading can be a great way to make side income, or it can even eclipse your income from your job. So I get that for sure. I think a good place to start is always going to be with education. So if you're going to go into options, I already said this, but they're very risky. So we want to understand all the risks involved. And start understanding the different strategies involved with them, too. So a lot of people are just only familiar with buying stocks in the first place. And learning if they can short sell a stock and make money on a downside is, they can't believe that. It's like, I remember the first time I learned that, it was like, wow, you can actually make money if a stock goes down? So most people don't even understand that part. So you can make stock, you can make money when stocks go up, you can make money when stocks go down. And then when we have options on top of that. We have all kinds of different layered strategies we can do. So I don't feel like everybody has to know every strategy out there, become comfortable with it. But I feel like before we just start going and buying calls and puts, let's let's become familiar with the basic option strategies and how we can make money on things going up or how they're going down and um, how we could play different scenarios. So um, you know, start getting familiar with those five stocks that you follow all the time. And start looking for points where you think they're about to continue to move higher or lower, or you think they're about to reverse. So if you can then become able to identify certain uh, patterns in stocks, you don't have to be 100%. I'm talking less than 50% for me. So if I'm able to start telling when Apple's about to make a move around 50% of the time, I'm doing really good. And if I'm able to formulate option strategies on top of that, that's what's going to make all the success when I... I've I've got a good feel for where the stock's about to move, and I'm I've got a good option strategy behind it. It's not always going to be just buying calls and puts. Uh, there's a lot of other ways to capture the volatility or sell the premium. 
And and what strategies would you recommend the guys listening to the show today focus on, or at least sort of start with if they go out, you know, jump on the internet after this and go right. Uh, I want to learn an option strategy. What what should they be typing in? You know, I would love for everyone to learn how to just sell spreads. I think it's the easiest way to make money in the market on overall, honestly. I think it takes the least amount of uh, I don't know, I think you know you need to study the least. You can you can be wrong a lot and still do okay. <laughs> so I think it's a very forgiving strategy because the odds are already in your favor. So by selling options, you're inherently the odds are already with you. So you're probably 60% or higher on your trading to begin with. With buying calls and puts, your odds of winning are about 30 or 40%. So you're already dealing with a deck stacked against you. So you've got to have you got to be really lucky or make some really good strategies if you're just going to go long calls and puts to make it work in the long term. Or if you flip the tables and you say I'm just going to take random bets that I've got a 60 or 70% odds, well, you're just naturally going to make money that way. So I'd rather people did that. It's much more conservative. You cannot make as much money, but um, the frequency of trades that you have that are successful will be higher. And I think you'll sleep better at night. It's it's easy just to be in trades that slowly decay and you win. So I would learn to sell volatility, learn to sell time value. And the best way for me to do that is by um, you know selling put spreads or selling call spreads the upside. And I think I've got a vague recollection that I've had someone on the show who uh, said the same thing, or, or that was their strategy was was uh, selling spreads, and it did very well. And they said very similar things around the the winning percentage. So um, it's, it's good to yeah, hear. I mean, it's just the math; it works. Yeah. So if you if you had to pick any game in the casino to play, would you play the one that you had a thirty percent chance or a seventy percent chance? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and with options, it's always a zero sum game. So if your odds of winning are forty percent by buying the call, and that means the guy that sold you the call, his odds are sixty. So, you and you can also choose which side of the table you want to be on with with options. So, you know, the thing is, it's it's a it's kind of foreign strategy to most people, and they don't want to take the time to learn it, and they're not disciplined enough to just stick with it. So, I, I the people that do do it though, it becomes a really successful strategy year in year out. So. Yeah, I know that the guy that I, I when I actually got into trading, it was options, uh, was the first thing. And the guy that I, I didn't learn from him, but he was the one that got me into it. He, he went from options to e minis, and then he went back to options. And uh, I think he does quite well, just you know, on the side. I don't think he does it full time anymore. But um, yeah, there's perseverance with that that particular um, trading style is the key. I think you're right. You know, the thing is, you're probably not going to make 100% a year doing that. And too many people have false expectations of how much money they want to make in the market. So, you know, the guy who's working his job right now has got a $10,000 account. And he wants to double or triple that this year. So, great. So, to do that, you've got to go make aggressive stock trades. Or you got to make aggressive call trades or put trades on options. And that just has a lot of risk. It's going to be very volatile. So, it might work. You might double or triple that account this year, but it's very risky. Or if you take a more conservative strategy, like I'm talking about selling spreads, maybe you're going to make, I'm going to promise anything, but you probably make 20, maybe 40% a year on the upside. That's just too boring to most people, honestly. And whilst the hedge fund will happily hire someone that can turn 20 to 40%. Yeah, but you talk to any hedge fund, they're like, man, that is, (laughs) if they could do that at scale, they would absolutely do it. 
it's just not a good strategy to do with a billion dollars. Right. Okay. <laughs> but with our with the retail account size, it's it's a great strategy. Right. So we're going to jump into the quickfire round where we help the guys get a better understanding of what it takes to become successful in stock options trading. So. First of all, how long did it take you to go from newbie to consistently profitable? Uh, about 10 years. Yeah, a lot of ups and downs. What's your mental approach to trading, and do you have any special techniques you can share with us? Uh, I try to always have a short memory, so I'm trying to forget what happened yesterday. That has no impact on today. So if, I'm, if you're flipping a quarter, going heads or tails, trying to bet on that, and the last 10 times were heads, and you're betting tails all the time, well, you got to forget that last 10. That has no impact on today's trading. So look at what's happening today, forget about yesterday, and just focus on what is the setup today and what needs to happen. And sometimes you just don't need to be in the market. In fact, a lot of times you just don't need to be in the market. I would just wait and be patient for ideal setups. I see too many traders get overly aggressive and um, about bad trade after bad trade and then feel like they really need to come over the top and hit a home run to make it work when that's just not the case. If you had more patience, um, you could, you know, get the money back slowly. You don't feel like you have to make it all back in one hit. So I would just have patience and going slower and trading is good. Good advice there, guys. What's your favorite entry setup? Uh, for me, I have an hourly indicator setup. I, I like it's, um, instead of looking at minute or daily charts, it's looking at an hourly chart setup. So I think hourly charts give me a good feel for swing trades. So if I'm looking to hold stocks for a few days, I feel like hourly charts have more value to me than daily or minute charts. Like a day trader or a longer term trader might use minute chart. I mean, day charts and a day trader is going to use like minute charts. For swing trading, I look at hourly charts. It works for me. So I look at about a 13 and a 30 hourly. And then if I see stocks that move up for about three weeks, just nonstop above the 13 and 30 hourly. And then the hourly begins to cross over, I call it, the two indicators cross. That's a great short path. It's a good reversal to me. Same on the downside. It, it tends to work better on the upside, but you definitely see it in the downside too. If socks go down for two weeks, three weeks, and stay above the hourly the whole time, that crossover becomes uh, pretty valuable. What strategies do you use to exit or manage active trades? Again, I go back to the hourly indicators. So I'm, as long as a trend is in place, as a stock is above or below consistently that hourly trend line, then I will stick with the trade. But when it closes outside of that, then I, I typically will exit my trade then thinking the trend is over. It's not always the case, but more often than not, I've seen that be the, that holds for me. So when I see stocks fall out of that hourly indicator range, and I'm looking to get out. What's your recommended trading book? Oh, man. You know, one of the first books that I ever read that I loved was uh, Jim Cramer's Confession of a Street Addict, I think it's called. I know people hate Jim Cramer. It's, you can say whatever you want, man. The guy's been around a long time, and he's actually really smart. <laughs> so he's got a lot of trading behind him, and he shares a lot of market wisdom. That first book was really about his experience on the desk and building up his first hedge fund and how he, how he came to where he was. And that was just a really inspirational book for me. I was kind of in the same shoes as Jim from a guy with no money, dirt poor into, uh, you know, becoming a, a good trader over time. So that was an inspiration for me. And I always look back to that book. 
If there was one thing you'd recommend any retail trader spend the next month mastering, what would it be, why, and how could they go about mastering it? I'm going to go back to selling volatility or selling premium. I think that's just the number one way that people can make money in the market. It's not sexy. It's boring. It's very conservative, but it's definitely worth your time. And in one month, you can learn it. So learn um, why and when you would sell volatility and how you can how you can limit your what the risks are in it and then what you should look for on the upside and just start to do it and go small. I always suggest with options, especially when um, get conf- do paper trading for a while. If you can do paper trading for you know a few months or so and become consistent, not 100%, but around 50% of your trades work, that's consistent, then maybe then you can move to real money. And with options, I always say just do one contract when you start. So don't go out and do a bunch of size. Just do one contract, and and you'll treat it like real money. You're going to protect it. You're going to trade it right. And when you're doing well with one contract, then scale up to whatever works for you. But uh, always go small and kind of work your way up. People feel like they need to do too much too quickly, and just just realize you've got time. What's your preferred broker and trading platform? Um, I've used Ameritrade pretty much my whole trading career, ups and downs, but um, I've I like Ameritrade. I think for options now that I trade options almost exclusively, they just have a great platform for it. So I don't even uh, Thinkorswim is their main options platform. I don't even use. 90% of all the technology they've got, it's it's fantastic. I'm an old guy, and I just use some simple things, but I think their platform's good. What, I like to trade my, my mobile phone a lot, so they have good mobile trading. What's your worst ever trade? Worst ever trade. So I talk about managing risk all the time, and there was one time about four years ago that I really didn't. <laughs> I let it get away from me. Uh, I'd had about a year. I was really learning more about selling volatility and how um, the VXX and the VIX, they just decline all the time. I was like, man, okay, I got this. So these go down all the time. I'm just going to bet against them and I was going to make money. And for about a year, I was doing this and it, it was working. I kept getting bigger and bigger positions on the other side. I was selling naked calls on uh, VXX, which is the volatility ETF. And I was, I was selling it naked and then collecting uh, all the premium on it. So VXX would be at $30 today, for example, and I would sell out-of-the-money calls like $60 for you know six months out or something like that. And VXX would never get up to anywhere near 60 It would bounce a little bit, but you know within that six months, I was collecting all my premium. So I was doing this like every two weeks or month, I would put a new trade on, and then another one would be expiring, so I always like I was like an income machine. I just kept cashing in options that were expiring, and I kept setting new ones out there. And uh, one day, my family and I were going on a cruise out of Boston. We're going out to Bermuda on a little family cruise. It leaves on a Friday afternoon. The cruise is pulling out of dock at uh, right around three or three thirty. So that's about the last Wi-Fi I've got. And uh, the market takes some kind of dip. All of a sudden, things went really well, and then the market takes a dip, like maybe, I don't know, 1% or 2% in the last hour. And all my volatility positions spiked up, like, ooh, that was, that was rough. I was down, you know, a good chunk of money. And then 
uh, I wake up on Monday and the market has a big gap down. So everything falls apart. Volatility has its biggest one night overnight move it's ever had to that point. So percentage wise, it has the biggest percentage move ever. And I'm sold tons of short volatility. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm on, so we're in dock in, in Bermuda at this time. And, uh, you know, I got a panic moment. This, this is almost a game ender for me. I wake up, no doubt my, I'm down about a million dollars on the open <laughs> in my account. This account is, you know, it's at this time, it's about a million five or so. So I'm down two thirds of my account overnight. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I was, oh dear is right. <laughs> and so what did you do? Did you, did you just have to cash out or? Well, you know, I, I kind of managed positions during the day and I got that down to a half million dollar loss on the day and considered it a win. <laughs> Walked away from it. <laughs> Recouped, uh, really rethought my life. <laughs> Expensive. If I had held everything like two or three more days, I would have been green actually. Oh, uh, it's always I, the way, isn't it? I would have made that half million dollars back and more, but I got forced out. I had to, I couldn't risk that again, so I took everything off, rethought everything, where I went wrong. Oh, the thing is, I made like three hundred thousand dollars going in that year prior, going into it selling volatility, and then in one day, I gave all of it back and more. So I was just so ticked myself for letting that happen but it taught me a big lesson i've never done that again and i've learned exactly why i don't want to do that strategy and, and did um uh had you not had gone to bermuda on the on a on a cruise would that have changed the fortune there or would you have done something differently um i th- i think i would have been in front of my computer i would have at least taken some risk off the table there on friday right yeah i just wasn't paying attention at all and you know, some of my biggest losses have been from trades I just didn't manage correctly. I didn't wasn't paying attention. Maybe I had options that expired on Friday that I didn't. I for, they were in the money and I forgot to exercise them. I forgot to I forgot to sell them, so I got exercised the stock. So Monday morning I woke up with a big position in a stock I didn't really want in the first place, and the stock had bad news. And I had a bunch. Of, uh, so I've had a few of those over the years. So now I'm always really careful to make sure I'm out of positions on Friday. Okay, right. There's a great story. I've got to say, it's probably one of the best uh, losing trade stories that we've worst trade stories we've had on the show. Um, oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, it paid off. <laughs> it it paid off in the end, didn't it? Well, God, only cost <laughs> half a million. Um, right. So, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I would just say that be confident that you can do it. I think a lot of times before before you're a tra- um, I don't know. On the outside, it just looks like it's a big deal. Like it's such a, it's all high finance and it's very complicated trading, and it's just really not. It's there's a lot of discipline that goes into it. It is work like anything else, but anyone can do it. Um, I think it's just like working out. Like we look at guys who are just elite athletes and stand in awe. Like wow, that they are just incredible shape or just such good athletes. I could never do that. Like so, well, maybe I can't ever be playing the NFL, but I sure as heck could get better if I just hit the weights more and go run the miles I need to. So there's simple things I can do to get better. It's just if I'm going to do it or not. The same with trading. There's no reason anyone listening to this today, it can't get better than they are today at trading. If they just put more time, they put a little more study, they uh, 
just research and listen to more people, you can get better than you are today, myself included. I'm always trying to improve and learn from other people out there. So everybody can do it. Great advice there. Great advice. Uh, now, the last question of the show before we wrap up, uh, what's, uh, we'd like you to give us the bones of a full trading strategy, the entry setup, stop loss, take profit targets, market time frame, something our listeners can tr- like have a play with at home this week. Like, I um, mean, you know, pick a stock for you or just tell you how the setup would work? Just tell us how the setup would work. So ideally for me, I would be looking at a reversal. So from the upside or downside, Ideally for me, it's a stock that has climbed three weeks in a row above the 13 and 30 hourly indicators. The indicator's now crossing over. So on the stock chart, the stock price begins to hit a wall. It looks weak. And that's when I want to start buying puts on it. So I'll I'll buy puts on that stock at that point. And then, you know, if I'm right on an hourly crossover reversal, it's happening within two or three days, sometimes just the same day. So it's happening quickly. And if it happens, it's probably, depending on how far the stock ran, it's probably good for a 2 to 5% drop pretty quickly. And that is a very quick 50 to 100% move on the put contract. At that point, I always take half of my trade off the table, so I can't lose then. I take half of my trade off, uh, let half ride, and that other half, I let ride as long as the stock stays in the trend that I, I needed it to. So if it stays, if I'm betting now against the stock about puts, as long as it stays under those hourly indicators, I just stick with it. And that's how I get trades that can go up hundreds of percent. So I've, I've played it safe. I took my initial trade off early when I got that 50 to 100% move. Then the rest of it, I'm just, I let it ride. I'm not in a hurry. I let it go do what it needs to do. Nice. Great. Then I uh, thanks for that. I think the guys can take that information, have a look, have a play on the chart, have a have a look at options if they are interested. Now, before we wrap up, what's the best way for the traders to get hold of you? Yeah. So these are all the kind of strategies I teach at, at RagingBull.com. Uh, my newsletter that I have, my service is called Weekly Money Multiplier. We strictly trade um, long calls, long puts. It's aimed at brand new traders or even really experienced traders who just want more ideas and learn some new charting. But uh, that's a service. You can find me at ragingbull.com. And the one unique thing about our services is that all of our traders have, uh, they're totally transparent. So you can see every trade they make. You can see their live portfolios. You can trade right along with us if you want. So we all make alerts when we're buying and selling stocks. You can see our live portfolios in real time. So it's a pretty unique place. It's a really cool community we built. And you should definitely come check it out. I don't know if it's for everybody, but it's it's really a great place to come learn from seasoned, experienced traders and how they do it and how they manage the market every day. Look, a big thank you to Jeff for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed here, along with all those links, are going to be in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Jeff in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. Righty-ho, folks. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff. Now, uh, back to business here at Trading Nut. So we've got the Trading Nut Q&As coming up in a second. Stay tuned for that. And we've got some fantastic interviews coming up. Uh, so next week, I've got not just an interview, but I've got an f- unbelievable video that you're going to see as well that goes alongside the interview. And, uh, and then 
as the website is now back up and running, I can move forward with the Robot Traders Club and Robot Builders Club, which I've got on the cusp of launching fully for everyone. But if you hunt around, you can find links to it. Now, if you have got questions yourself, head over to tradingnut.com and you'll find links in the sidebar of the post where you can actually submit your questions or just hit me up on social media or email cam at tradingnut.com and we'll get those questions answered for you in future episodes. So without further ado, here are the questions and I'll leave you there until next week. Trading Nut Q&A time with Andre Stewart from Chart Artist Trading. So Andre, today's question is, how to how do you analyze the top and the bottom of a trend accurately, at least with high probability via the combination of candlestick, SNR lines, indicators, Fibonacci, or perhaps oh, time God. analysis? I believe the professionals had done it successfully, but I really wonder how they do it. I believe this is one of the edges of trading and which separates the good ones from the bad traders. And that was from uh, Yen from Malaysia, or Jean from Malaysia. All right. All right. Malaysia's in the house. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, here you go, right? I don't want to say I'm going trashing this guy because I'm not. This answer is just fully intended to help and to only help. Thinking like a retail trader. Fibonacci indicators, this, this, that, and the third, right? How do you analyze? And here's the thing, trend, right? Trend implies the market's going to go one way forever, right? But people, you see, you have to see, get away from words like trend, right? And I prefer the term direction, right? The direction is this way until this happens. Okay. Um, So how do you accurately analyze the top or bottom of a trend? You have to look at it with, see, a clouded chart equals a clouded mind. So if you have to have all these indicators and all that other jazz on your chart, your mind's clouded. And you're relying on way too much to have to uh, trade. And if you're indeed having to rely on indicators and fibs and all this other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with analyzing a market, you're you're behind the eight ball. Um, <clears throat> and then you always have to look at the chart with no, no bias. Indicators show what? They show bias. All because if the moving average is doing this, price should be going this that, that way. But then 98% of the time, everybody fails. So that likely means you're doing it wrong. So what I would do, and I'm probably going to say a little bit too much here, but who cares? Um, Look at it from from a non-biased point of view. Because when, when I was scalping, for lack of a better word, how I was analyzing is I was always scalping against the trend. But what I figured out was um, against that trend, those ended up turning into reversal trades, right? Um, and very, very high probability because I had a rule. I had a rule around uh, around the scalping. Um, and it was what, like a two, two to five pip stop on every trade. But I would analyze price from a higher time, and that's the key here. Like so many people focus on the lower time frames, um, and it's a factor of impatience. So 
the higher the time frame, obviously, the better. And you have to look at the charts without bias. And you're looking at the chart and you're saying, okay, the market said it couldn't the market said it couldn't go any higher or lower than this specific area right here. Right? Do that. And then you let like you sit on your hands and you let the market come into that area. You also have to accept the fact that it may not come into that area, especially when you want it to come into that area. And when it comes into that area, you have and then here's the thing. You have to define what you are looking for, right? Because everyone's going to see the market just a little bit differently. So I knew when I was trading trading these reversal points that I wanted to see price touch my reversal point, right? Or go into the reversal point, close outside of it on the five-minute chart, and then I would go pretty heavy on the risk. Um, and have like a five pip stop and it worked 80, like 75 to 80% of the time. But if price came back into that area again, I wouldn't take the trade because people think, oh, support and resistance is this and this and that. No, well, no support and resistance. If a level's hit so many times, everyone's thinking it's support and resistance, but it's likely not because when you think about it from like what the market truly is and and it is truly a market, what moves the market volume. So if price is hitting a level over and over again, what is it doing? It's drying up that volume. So eventually what's going to happen to that volume, it's not going to be there anymore. So guess what the market's going to do? It's going to go to the next best price. So look at the market from a pure price perspective, um, not necessarily a, a support and resistance perspective, not necessarily a indicator perspective, but from a market, you have to look at your, your prices and then <clears throat> start analyzing the markets in your everyday life, grocery stores, determine what products are selling at a grocery stores and why are they cheap or are they expensive? Right. <clears throat> and analyze the gas market in your country. Like I do, I do all this weird stuff because it it always ties back into trading in some way shape or form for me um so really to 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 boil it down a bit oh i also want to say don't even count on reversal points because it takes a lot to stop a trend it takes a lot to stop a trend you're way better off attempting to determine where the trend's going to continue way better off, right? Instead of trying to pick a top or pick a bottom. Uh, That will come with time. I hope that answers that question. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. And guys, recommend rewinding, listening to that again a few times to, to pick up all the nuggets. All right, thanks for that one, Andre. Loved it. No problem.